been thinking. Ah, uh, hey, is someone there? Yes, I am here. Hello, who are you? Hi, I'm I'm John Romineo. How are you doing, Scott? Oh, I'm pretty good. Uh, this is Popcorn Eschaton with John and Scott, a podcast where we look at movies from a leftist and spiritual perspective. How you been? Yeah, I've been good. I've been thinking a lot about these movies or dealing with some uh, pretty deep topics. Yeah, like uh, what's been going on? Um, oh, you mean like in, in my life personally? What's going on can mean however you oh, yeah. want it to be. Um, well, you know, I'm just... <laughs> I'm just uh, selling comic books up in Pennsylvania. It's been a good time. We recently had a, a signing with the current Batman artist, Mike Hawthorne. He's a very talented and nice dude. It was great. I think when we get a, some more episodes down our hatches, I would like to visit either a few comic book movies or the genre. Oh, yeah, sure. Because there's obviously a lot of things to tackle and could possibly give me a reason to enjoy my interaction with superhero films as of right now, where I feel that I'm a little bored. Yeah, yeah, it has been uh, some diminishing returns going on in... uh the cinematic universe of both DC and Marvel. It seems like everything is like people are talking more about behind the scenes nonsense than the actual movies. Yes. And you have, I was very interested in, there was the DC universe that they were doing where they, instead of, you know, f not pretending that, Superman is a dictator and Batman is a fascist. They just went for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I thought that made for interesting movies. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the DC universe took more chances, though some of those chances were really bad. Yeah. And Agreed. the the Marvel Cinematic Universe is they have there's like 47 movies and and I just it doesn't give me the wonder that it used to do whereas I could I could talk about Iron Man 3 and PTSD and the war machine like literal and idea like for hours where I don't even remember the plot of Ant-Man 3 which I just watched like two days ago yeah, there wasn't much of a plot that they get small and run around a bunch. Yeah. So, so what movies did you did you have us watch this week? Uh, this week we did the uh, 2016 uh, Gary Ross Matthew McConaughey film Free State of Jones and the 1964 Gabriel Rocha uh, Brazilian film. Black God, White Devil. 
Tell me... Sorry, what were you about to say? Yeah, I... These films are about as, you know, aesthetically different as two films can be, but I thought that they sort of paired well together because they deal with, you know, rebellions within rebellions and the um, false promise of messianic leaders and also, you know, those leaders using biblical language to further their cause and i can you can see how that message can be both uh, inspiring and despairing in both of these two films and there are some incidental similarities with um how those leaders sort of a- approach those topics in the films which i found pretty interesting so I, that that's why i wanted to pair them so um what did you think about that pairing scott i thought it was a very exciting pairing i am a pretty loud supporter of the free state of Jones Mm -hmm. and the reasons for that I will, I will go into and I have gone into, you know, on like, I will, I will tell anyone that'll listen like, no, this movie's really dope. And you know, the other movie I, I had heard of, you know, black God, white devil, but I actually had never seen and wasn't always, that easy to find a good copy of and you can now find it on uh youtube uh, actually yeah uh <laughs> easy and easy to obtain uh it, it's split into two parts but it, it is on youtube and it, it is on a couple obscure film websites for easy viewing sorry for that radio silence i know that that's everyone favorite thing in the world but you know that's okay it's better than you know two dudes talking at each other yeah i really i really hate when that happens mm-hmm. which you never do scott and so i appreciate that thank you oh well that's that's nice of you to say i i'm sure i do sometimes but um and the free state of jones is is pretty easy to find to to stream it's on a bunch of different networks mm-hmm. and T- tell me about Black wa- Black God, White Devil, and tell me what you like about it. Uh, so, I I don't know if I've tried to like a movie as hard as Black God, White Devil. It it's it's a very challenging film, and the director, you know Gabriel Raja, he he wrote this manifesto called The Aesthetics of Hunger. Uh, shortly after this movie was made, that was his mission statement about what he was trying to do with his his work, uh, his films, his, his philosophy uh, pr- uh, in his approach to art, and the movements that he was a part of called Cinema Novo. And you know, it, it's all about how any colonized populace who is experiencing deprivation or hunger, the only way they can make their voices heard is through violent action. And that is the only way colonizers will pay attention to them. And they are not interested in the viewpoint of Europeans or Americans because they either view uh, colonized people as, you know, 
savages to be crushed or, you know, starving peasants to be pitied and fetishized. And so this film is a complete refutation of that ideology of, uh, according to Roja, um, he calls it like the, the tyranny of aesthetics. So, mm. so rejects um, Western schools of filmmaking, auteurism or auteur theory. Although if you watch, you can clearly see influences from like the French New Wave and Italian neorealism. Um, and so, you know, I've heard this movie described as a Brazilian scream. And in that way, it's, you know, it's incredibly genuine and an indelible piece of art. But I, I don't know how much I, I like it. And I'm glad to talk about it. I'm glad to discuss it. Um, and I really have to credit um, the book Any Gun Can Play by Kevin Grant, which is about European Westerns. But in it, he has a whole chapter on the political nature of European Westerns in the 60s, and he has this um, sort of tangent where he talks about this South American school of stridently leftist cinema, and it was what the, the first kind of cogent and coherent writing on this movie that I encountered personally, and so that sort of brought me down the rabbit hole uh, to the film and made me want to, to suggest it. And would you call this like an acid Western? Um, uh, I, I don't think Rocha would call it that at okay. all. Uh, but I, it's, it does certainly pair well with movies like El Topo, and I think it uses Western iconography to get his message across like there are you know these bandits in iconic outfits and cool hats who are really good at gunplay and there's also some magical realism elements to it so oh yeah I I think if you're just going on the piece of art itself it would definitely qualify as an acid western but if you're taking into account the filmmaking philosophy behind it it would not qualify so I guess it it just depends on what your your philosophy of film happens to be at the time of watching it. And what do you think is the film philosophy of Rocha? Um, yeah, so from the Aesthetics of Hunger, which is an easily obtainable document that you could find in numerous places online. Um, so he says, whenever there is a filmmaker prepared to stand up against commercialism, exploitation, pornography, and the tyranny of technique... There will be the living spirit of Cinema Novo. This is why we don't have wider points of contact with world cinema. Cinema Novo is a project produced out of the politics of hunger and suffers for that very reason. All weaknesses derive from its particular existence. So it's, you know, it's movies that, you know, are self-conscious in the technical limitations of of their filmmaking but sort of also celebrate them and shove that in the face of western you know modes of storytelling but on the other hand this movie did premiere at Cannes and was Brazil's entry for the best foreign film nomination for the Academy Awards so I don't really know how how to take that but you know it, it is I think 
a very different form of leftist art than I think what we're used to in, in 2023, especially in America. Because this one and his next film, Entranced Earth, deal very much with how corrupt uh, both sides of South American or Brazilian politics are. I, I think it has a lot of sort of profound disappointment with uh, like leftist revolutionaries and what they were able to accomplish in Brazil and their corruption, but certainly um, taking aim at the conservative establishment, especially the religious establishment at the time. Um, and, you know, between the filming of this movie and the release, uh, there was a U.S. backed military coup that took down the leftist government. So, you know, it, it's it's a case where r reality and art really intermingle in a pretty um, dispiriting way. Right, because the taking over of leftist governments by other governments may be instigated by the Western world is pretty common in the 20th century. Yeah. And, you know, certainly the Soviet Union is guilty of that sin itself, and I think that's probably part of what um, the, the disappointment is in, in some of the leftist ideals that were stirring around at the time, but, but you know, certainly... Um, there was much more uh, democratic support for leftist governments in, in South America at the time than these military dictatorships. Absolutely, and you feel like it shows in the film. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is sort of, at least for me, it was difficult to get a grasp on the viewpoint of the film because we're presented with this protagonist who sort of cheated out of a payment because uh, his, his employer uh, lost some cattle and so your the protagonist is, is forced to fit the bill for it and he, he murders his boss and sort of goes on the run and encounters this self-styled Saint Sebastian character who turns out to be basically a cult leader. He manipulates his followers for his own sort of self-aggrandizement. He commits some pretty uh, deplorable acts, including the, the murder of an infant. And so, you know, by the time the counter-revolutionary forces get their act together, it's kind of like, well, yeah, fuck this guy. You know, like, you know, hire a bounty hunter, sure, okay. Um, but it's also pretty deplorable that, you know, the Catholic Church conspires with the constabulary to murder somebody. Um, so it's... Black God, White Devil is full of detestable characters. And, you know, even this, you know, victim protagonist, he's a real dope. He, I think, the film self-consciously makes him out to have no real identity of his own. He's easily duped and follows whatever strong man is, is put in front of him. 
How and also like as a movie, I thought the cinematography was really powerful. Yeah. Um. It's pretty metal. Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of blood uh, on the cross and like knives held symmetrically in, in front of the camera. Um. Holy marches turned sacrificial. Yeah, there's a lot of heavy metal lyrical contents uh, rife for the harvesting from this film. Even even the the title of the film could certainly be the title of a heavy metal album. Yeah, I thought it was. I was like, I bet there's a a fucking dope ass band. Yeah, that yeah, sounds good as hell. There's a there's been several killer uh, South American heavy metal scenes throughout the past like 40 years so I'm I'm sure there's some bands that have taken inspiration from this film at, at least as far as the imagery goes yeah there's like a a leftist hard band called Wretched of the Earth mm-hmm. you know based off of the Fans Fanon book and I always mean to buy their merch but I don't know if their music's any good yeah. but you always hope that bands with cool merch and cool names uh, are actually good. Yeah, but you know, like I, I'll wear some stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's always good to um, support support the scene. Um, b- before we move on to the next movie, uh, is there more you'd like to talk about this? Um, I, I guess um, you know, because I had such. A difficult time with this movie. I'm just curious as to what you're. Were you able to enjoy the film, Scott? I'm not gonna lie to you. I. I didn't love the movie. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit of a challenge to get through. The. I thought it was beautiful, even in even in its disgustingness. I thought it was directed very well, shot very well. Um, I was made very upset by some of the scenes, and and obviously the the last scene that was felt like a crucifix of uh, spoilers uh, was certainly not not lost on me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, sometimes in this world that we've decided to you know critique film sometimes i i'm really moved and sometimes i'm i'm not and i thought this movie was good and i thought that what it went for was was really ambitious yeah but it's it's a movie that i might not watch again yeah unless i Sorry, go ahead. Unless someone were to be like, yo, I like I'm really into, you know, westerns that are left of center and not necessarily about North America, I'd be like, bro, I got you. Yeah. I I did have to watch it twice just for my own recognizance. Like after I watched it the first time, I was like, hmm, I did I don't think I got that. And so then after that is when I read Aesthetics of Hunger and a couple essays about it. 
and I think I'd liked it the more more than time, but I think even then it's just like this is this is too long. <laughs> it it really gets the messages get I think very repetitive. Maybe that's just because it was the second time I was watching it. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's there really is some indelible indelible imagery to it, and it is such a genuine, you know, cry from a, a very you know, uncompromising artist, and for that, I certainly respect it. And it's also, like, it's pointedly not for me. Like, it's mm -hmm. it's for the people of Brazil, so it doesn't really matter if I like it or not. It it matters if Roca is satisfied with it, and, and I'm pretty sure he is, so... So I'm, I'm, glad, right. I'm glad we were able to talk about it. But you wanted me to see it. Yeah, yes. Why? Um, because I wanted an, uh, another person's take on it. Somebody who uh, I know to be very smart and has a lot of interesting things to say about leftism and leftism, leftism in art. And I, so I thought it was uh, rife for material for this podcast. Thank you. I, I wish that I had even more to say about it I do um, would frame certain scenes like as pictures mm -hmm. and just some of the biblical references I just found interesting or religious references like there's th oh, yeah. three or four mentions of St. George that like he keeps coming up again and again and that's you know a very mythical saint you know, the patron saint of Wales, but also, you know, the saint that slew a dragon. Uh, so I just think it's interesting that of all the saints in the Catholic pantheon, this is the one several characters, you know, keep bringing up. Um, and I think, you know, these characters are using religion as a way to excuse their own violent actions as if everything they're doing is slaying the dragon of, of whatever villain they happen to be to be facing. And I, I think that's an, an interesting way of, of framing how religion is manipulated and used to manipulate people. Um, and, you know... no, <laughs> Sorry. Period. End of sentence. No, but it's just like, yeah... It's cool that it's like there's this mystical, political, upsetting epic about a guy killing his boss. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it, it goes from, you know, oh yeah, okay, I'm, I'm on the side of this guy who's just, you know, raging out against the exploitative practices of these cattle barons to... You know, him being forced to carry a boulder on his head, on his knees, up to a chapel at the top of a mountain. And you're like, what is happening right now? <laughs> what in the fucking Sisyphus is happening right now? Yeah. Would not be surprised if Jodorowsky uh, watched this movie before uh, making El Topo. Uh, yeah, I mean... The, I. I'd have to make sure that the that the timelines match, but I I think 
Yeah, El Topo is 1970, yeah. so yeah. Yeah. And we will eventually have to get to El Topo in this in this show. Yeah. But but today is is not going to be the day. No. Yeah, Yodorovsky deserves a full a full meal in and of himself. Yeah, so when I was when I first was in grad school for social work, I was reading a lot of theory of social work, but I was also reading a lot of leftist theory because my my leftism was getting stronger and stronger, especially as I worked in like a field that's goal is social justice and social justice oriented, you know, um, I don't, when people are like, you're a social justice warrior. I'm like, yeah, I don't think that that's the, the insult that you think it is. I, I, I do think that there is like a trope of, of, of the SJW crowd that sometimes miss the forest for the trees and and have selective understanding and i'm reticent to to use a term that that um chris rock recently did in his comedy special selective outrage mm-hmm. where there is like focus foci foc- focus on certain things or blind eyes to other things is is so in school i really saw the dangers of neoliberalism yeah. and and liberalism and and um a lot of the issues that can happen in making identity politics your identity mm-hmm. but I'm going to be very careful with that because like I obviously identity politics are very important and uh, defined a lot of the conversation that we have in social justice spaces. And, you know, intersectionality as it, as it was really, as, as it was actually used is a very powerful tool to make sure that people are all receiving equity because because the true definition of intersectionality is not that for well for someone to have something then for someone who's who's been you know had been oppressed for them to get something then someone who hasn't been oppressed has to not get something that's a simplification that people explain intersectionality as or they'll go well well, intersectionality means that, you know, there has to be a black Batman so so other people can have representation. And that's just not what intersectionality is, and it's not what intersectionality means. Um, and take this with a grain of salt from a cishet white dude recording a, a podcast with his friend, another cishet white dude, um, that intersectionality is the idea that there are our identities exist on several different intersections and each intersection has 
the ability to oppress and the ability to be oppressed and there's different power dynamics and different hierarchies and laws, ideas, movements that would aim to help someone on the most, you know, fragile intersection would actually help everybody. Yes, yes. And that that is what intersectionality is. And something that I found very important in my school, which was was a social justice based school, like they 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 were so right about so many things, but a lot of people stopped short on capitalism bad. Yeah. Or or like would be the people like oh you know uh if you if you if you support if you don't support hillary you're a bad person you know um and yeah that's not going to happen yeah you know in the united states we've really done a a great job of vilifying a leftism socialism or or any variety of political thought in that, you know, area of politics and, and economics that it's really handicapped uh, ways for us to, to move forward, you know, economically, culturally, socially, and it's, you know, very frustrating. And any, I, I know, you know, we're a couple of white dudes talked about this, but, but I think the title of Bernie Sanders' new book is a perfect way to, to phrase it. Like, it's okay to be angry about capitalism. Like, right. Yeah. Like, I, I think we need to find a way to, to get, o- to get over that. And, you know, when, when billionaires are, you know, making geometrically more profit during the pandemic, um, it's time to be angry. Yeah. And all of this comes around to the free state of Jones. Because as I was making sure that I was reading stuff, I also wanted to continue reading left leftist works. And don't get me wrong, my school did some great things like we, you know, Pedagogy of the Oppressed is like a book that we have to read that totally changed my life. But I needed more. And I was reading a lot of this writer and political thinker Adolf Reed and and he was talking about in this article The Trouble with Uplift uh, talking about the movie The Free State of Jones and also I think talking about glory and talking about movies that come across as white savior films but might have more to more to it than just that yeah and Adolf Reed is a is is a you know black man writer in fact, he he noticed um, the problem of centrist liberalism and democracy a long time ago. He he figured out Barack Obama when he was just uh, in in in, in uh, Senate state senator. You can find him talking about him in like the year two thousand. It's wild. Like that, Obama is really a centrist. It, it it's a little more complicated than that but um so 
I was reading his glowing review uh, about Free State of Jones because when it had come out, I was just like, there's there's no way that I'm going to like this movie, like Matthew McConaughey being a white savior. That's going to suck. Well, yeah, Adolph Reed had, had Barack Obama's number, and you can find stuff where he talked about it, but he was obsessed with the movie Free State of Jones, and two of my other friends who are really people I look up to in my leftism journey were like, no, dude, check out this movie. I was like, ah, okay. So, yeah, The Free State of Jones came out in 2016, um, loosely based off of the life of Newton Knight um, and this supposed commune city of of Jones County, Mississippi, throughout the American Civil War. The movie was directed by Gary Ross. It has Mahershala Ali, Kerry Russell, uh, a bunch of people. And it's, it's an epic. And what it does, when we're talking about capitalism sucks and rich people, you, what, what you see is, is the grift that the man has done to the poor. Yeah. Because cause in the South, in, during the Civil War, you're starting to see that, that poor white people are being shit on they're they're being treated very badly. Obviously, not the same as as enslaved people. That you cannot compare the two, but the people that are that are benefiting from this war are rich people because the poor whites don't own slaves. Slaves cost a lot of money, and so you're seeing all this stuff happen in the Confederacy, and they're. They're taking advantage of the farmers and the people that they're supposed to protect, taking care of their livestock. And, you know, this guy realizes that this is wrong. And and obviously there's a little bit of a spiritual bent on it. You know, one day they will have they will make a movie about John Brown the proper way. Uh, John Brown being the the man of God who may have hallucinated God, but decided that slavery was, was the greatest sin of man and had a broadsword and was really trying to end slavery. And there's a book recent book and movie recently called the good Lord bird that sort of talks about it, but there, I hope there's a real story about it that has an almost like Joan of Arc style of, of, is this person receiving the word of God? Is this person possibly meant having some mental health challenges? Is, is this both the same? But I digress. I'm just, I think the story of John Brown is so interesting. Yeah, uh, me too. And also and the, they, they, they sing a hymn to John Brown in the movie to the tune of the battle hymn of the Republic. Uh, I like that. Yeah. And you know, the, the uh, really the, the plot of the film is kicked off. You, you were talking about, you know, the the oppression of the poor um, by the passing of the twenty slave law in the Confederacy, whereby 
if you owned or if your family owned 20 slaves uh your eldest son was um was excused from military service and for every additional 10 or 20 i forget then an additional son was excused from serving in the confederate army and so it benefited the richer you were the more slaves you owned the the more people you treated as property the more your family was free of the consequences of the civil war and so it was blatantly showing how it was a rich man's war and how much slavery was a motivator and cause for the civil war it's you know right there in the confederacy's own laws exactly and it's like don't you it's like don't you see like everybody's getting fucked up it's not obviously black and white is part of it you know they're there you'll find people that that are you know economic absolutists and then you get people that are um race absolutists or you back to intersectionality no you 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 can't have one without the other they're all connected yeah in my opinion um patriarchy is, is connected to capitalism, imperialism, capitalism, all of it is having and wanting. And, you know, it, it, it is interesting that we're just talking about, you know, the patriarchy, because legally in Mississippi for a long time, um, interracial marriage was illegal, and Newton Knight deeded his property to his his wife who was a a former slave uh, or common law wife and so she was one of the only women to own property and one of the only black people to own property uh after the civil war and and i i think according to the movie the only black woman in mississippi who owned any land because it was gifted to her by by her husband and incidentally um there's a really great article from the smithsonian that came out around, around this time about uh, about sort of the, the real uh, free state of Jones. And, you know, that family, um, there's a lot of mixed feelings in Mississippi about uh, the, the Knight family, their descendants, um, the Jones Rebellion. And, you know, even, you know, even their descendants into the 60s had trouble enrolling in school because, you know, like, if you were 132nd black, you were considered black according to Mississippi state law. And so it was difficult for them to be enrolled in school. A lot of, a lot of real messed up shit. And, you know, that is one of the things I appreciate about the movie is that, you know, it doesn't stop at the Civil War. It it goes into Reconstruction and past that and, yes. and, and into yes. the 20th century and shows that the legacy of slavery, of racism, is a continuing battle and is alive and well in, in, in this case in Mississippi, but also uh, all over the country. Yes, and I don't, I really don't want to spoil the movie too much because I, I really want people to see it. Yeah. But but you just got onto the piece that I think is so important is that it shows Reconstruction and how fucked up it was. 
and how it's not what you think. It's not that the Emancipation Proclamation and Juneteenth happened and all of a sudden things were bad, things were good, and then Jim Crow. No. It gives you what what the South looks like after the Civil War. And for that, I think it's a really important movie. Did you like the movie? Yeah, I do really like the movie. Um, I think Matthew McConaughey is a really interesting actor and movie star because he he really is, you know, that guy that, all right, all right, all right, like get mm-hmm. high and play bongos naked in his house kind of dude. And so when he does roles like this or Dallas Buyers Club or True Detective, these characters sort of enmeshed in tragedy, you sort of, you see the potential for joy in the sort of aura he presents, and that makes the the pain he's experiencing, like, all that more um, able to be felt by the viewer, at least in my opinion. And so he's able to combine his movie star persona with his tool set as an actor in a way that's very unique and I really appreciate that in in a role like this and so for a big Hollywood movie I think you need a presence like that to to sort of you know get the audience involved emotionally in the film and you know get past the you know the the cringiness that you know I had when I saw the preview as well the the first time you know I saw you know promotional material for the film of of a possibly a, a white savior movie starring Matthew McConaughey and I think with his performance and and the, the excellent supporting cast I I think you know you you're able to see the truth in in the film and the story it's it's trying to tell and certainly it, it takes liberties with a lot of real events and the the sequence of of history but I think it it really accomplishes the goals it sets out to. Yeah. You know, and then I, I've never seen any movies about the Paris Commune. Mm-hmm. But but I feel like this is like, I don't know, getting to see what um, communes or anarch, anarcho-socialist towns can look like really inspired me and you know I, I think um, it is interesting that these two movies have sort of yin and yang scenes where there's a leader addressing their followers and citing religious arguments for the redistribution of wealth how one man cannot be another man's slave and that what you plant in the ground and what you pull out of the ground is yours and, you know, in, in Free State of Jones, it's like sort of an inspiring, uplifting moment. And in Black God, White Devil, it's, you know, a, a insane cult leader saying this stuff. But, yeah, in, in Free State of Jones, we do get to see plantation owners having <laughs> their property being taken away and that stuff being redistributed uh, amongst the poor people that these plantation owners have been exploiting for, you know, their entire lives. 
and that makes the post-Civil War section of the film all the more uh, dispiriting. And it's something that a lot of leftists and historians and even slightly apolitical historians bring about in their histories is that there really there was a very poor white class that their only thing that they could say is, well, we're not enslaved. That's all they had. But piss poor, nothing, uh, living at, at the will of the landowner's teat, you know? And in a book that completely changed my life, The Black Jacobins by C.L.R. James, which talks about, you know, Toussaint Louverture um, and the Haitian Rebellion and about this idea that, yeah, there there was this other class of, of white people that were not experiencing the same things that, that's, that enslaved people were experiencing, but they were experiencing some shit. Yeah, you know, the movie does get at it how close to starvation a lot of these, you know, white Southerners who are conscripted into the Confederate Army, you know, were facing. Um, a lot of Confederate uh, bands of soldiers would take taxes or what they would call taxes and, you know, raid the farmers of their own citizenry. And as a result, they would have nothing to keep themselves alive during the winter. They would starve to death or, you know, have to leave their homes in, in, and become beggars. And so when you have a population living on the edge of destitution, you're able to manipulate them in in some pretty heinous ways. Uh, and and I think that's one of the things that this film does get at, at least for the people um, in this area of Mississippi, for sure. Exactly. Wonderful. Just wonderful. Um, the, 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 the talk, not, not everything that, <laughs> yes. you know. Um, but as always... But I, I do want to say real quick, um, the Smithsonian article, which I'll hopefully remember to link in the description of, of the film, uh, of, of this podcast, um, it does talk about how much racism is still in uh, Jones County, Mississippi, and, you know, for a while, it was renamed Davis County after Jefferson Davis. And that, um, but, but... Who is the, who is the leader of the Confederate yeah, Army? Uh, the the pre president of the, of the Confederacy. Yeah. Um, but also that you can see Newton Knight's grave, uh, and his, his epitaph is, he lived for others, but instead of a, a cross engraved on his gravestone it's a shotgun so I, I think that's a pretty uh nice encapsulation of, of who he was and how he lived absolutely any uh, other finishing thoughts um i'm i'm just really hoping that people um give these movies a shot and and approach them with an open mind because i think they they deserve to be seen 
And if, you know, I think we'll probably create a a Gmail soon if you want to shoot us some questions. So if you have any thoughts, we're here. The zebras are are also here. And uh, maybe we'll record an episode with Marcus sometime soon, which would be pretty neat, too. So, you know, be nice to people. Tip your tip your bartenders and don't be rude to service people. <laughs>